Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning. Welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. On today's show, we have Brad Dodge from Dodge Communications, and we're going to talk a little bit with him about trends in uh, healthcare PR and also what it's like to go through uh, selling your business, which, Brad, I understand you've done very, very, very recently. So I'm delighted to have you on the show with us this morning. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. So um, as always, I start the show by asking my guests, what are the key trends that they're seeing in their industry or area of expertise that they think are really important for other CEOs to know about? So what's going on in the world of healthcare PR? Well, there's a lot going on in healthcare, as you know, from the Affordable Care Act and all the um, national attention that the uh, healthcare system in the U.S. has been getting. Um, and the, the most significant thing as it relates to PR is that there's a lot of change. And change is something that PR thrives on, feeds on. And uh, our job is to be able to understand the change, recognize the change, capitalize on the change, participate in the change, and help our clients manage the change um, you know, to their benefit. So it's a very, very volatile kind of dynamic industry right now. And um, we expect that it will be for, you know, for a long time going forward. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the major projects that you're working on that are um, focused on communicating, effectively communicating that change for your, your clients? Well, you know, some companies, um, b because of the dramatic uh, change that's happening in the industry, let's take the, the payer or the insurance industry, for example. You see recently in the news that some of the, the, the five gigantic payers are acquiring each other or attempting to do so. And they're really doing that because there's a fundamental change in the business model that's happening uh, in the in the risk-reward uh, uh, environment as in the healthcare space. So they need to make sure that they understand years in advance what's going to happen so that they can um, uh, manage their businesses and continue to grow their businesses. So this consolidation is, um, you know, not to be taken lightly. It's a, it's, they're big projects and they're, and they're big risks that these companies are taking and they're doing it based on what they understand the industry is going to be like uh, in the future. And so what, what are they saying or what are you seeing in terms of your thoughts on what the industry is going to be like in the future? Well, you know, there's, there's so much focus on, um, on accountability in care. And, you know, the, the, the real mantra of what's happening in healthcare is it's going from a fee-for-service model to a fee-for-value model. And that means that um, physicians and hospitals can't just order up as many services as they uh, deem necessary, they have to somehow be more careful about the services that they perform and managing the health and the wellness of their um, of their consumers, of their patients. So uh, without, you know, they need to be able to manage that. And um, in and going forward, it's it's just fundamentally changing the way that business has been done for so many years, fee-for-service to fee-for-value. And that's the really the fundamental change that's happening. Are you anticipating or your um, payers uh, anticipating that care is going to be constrained or rationed in some way? Or are, you, are you thinking that that's going to be a part of the trend? I mean, I would argue that it's probably being constrained and rationed right now. And it's just how it is and who's making the decisions to do that, whether there are, 
you know, death panels on, at the administration level is is one kind of extreme on that, or whether it's just good management of, of health uh, benefits is at the other extreme. And really managing the wellness of the population is probably the most important thing. So if we can, as a country, um, become healthier, then we can drive down the cost of health care for all and, you know, everybody prevails. The issue is that if you're not providing as much care, some industries don't prevail, like a physician, for example, that is paid for providing care. If he doesn't provide care because his patients are all healthy, then that really doesn't uh, solve the, his problem. So that's one of the drivers is that how do you make sure that you um, uh, compensate a physician adequately for in, you know, modifying their, their uh, incentives so that they align with the goal of making the population healthy. So population health management is a big, big buzzword in the industry right now. And all companies, whether they're providing ser services, you know, like a, um, a hospital or a physician practice, or whether they're, um, you know, providing products and services to that industry to help them manage those issues, they all have to have that focus in mind. It's really to make the population healthier. That's really the ultimate goal. And so as you think about these changes, what are some of the key messages that you're seeing um, from a PR standpoint that some of these big healthcare players are trying to, to promote? I think that you'll see just health and wellness is really a primary driving message. You know, a healthier world. We make health happen. Um, you know, be well, all those kinds of uh, high level messages are really where the um, where the whole industry wants to go. In other words, there are economic issues that are driving the need for a healthier population. But there are also um, uh, esoteric or good feelings around a healthier world. And to be associated with a brand that has a healthy world message to it is inspiring. And so for people, whether they're healthy or whether they're sick, they want to aspire to be healthy. And so um, any kind of organization that has a health message and a wellness message is going to really prevail. And that's where the aspirational um, activities are going to take place for, for an organization like that. And is it, I mean, do you think that it really goes anywhere beyond just the platitudes of be well and, you know, healthy world and all that kind of stuff? Is it just um, platitudes or do you think that it really is moving from the messaging level down into the culture of the organizations or the culture of the population as a whole? I think it is moving down. It's, it's not an easy fix. You can't just say, hey, let's all be healthy and have people be healthy. It's a very systemic problem, and it, it goes down to the core of the human being of what you're willing to do. You know, one of the biggest problems in, in population management uh, today is compliance, where uh, chronically ill patients um, are managed very effectively if they stick with their regimen of, um, of uh, drugs and activities and, you know, um, directions from their caregivers. But the compliance is the issue. So if somebody feels better, then they stop taking their meds. Or if they don't feel like going for a workout today, they just don't. And those kinds of issues at the core human level are really where population health management has trouble staying on the tracks. 
Well, one question I've always had is why isn't there some sort of a incentive, you know, even an economic incentive or disincentive for people to for people to, who don't comply? So if somebody doesn't comply, why is there no penalty or I mean, do you have a thought on that? There are uh, organizations that do do that. There are two really methods of in- incentivizing um, patients around their own wellness, their own health. And it's a, they're, they're, one's called a carrot and one's called a stick. And a carrot, you know, is designed to provide them incentives to, you know, if they stop smoking, they can save um, money on their premium, insurance premiums, for example. The stick method is if they don't stop smoking, they will be fined. You know, that those two methods are really how care management really works. It has to have some kind of incentive in order for it to work. But even incentives don't, um, you know, don't change the behavior at the level that it needs to be changed. So compliance still um, is an issue. Mm-hmm. And so as you look at these these messages um, that you're expecting and, you know, this um cultural shift that a lot of these companies are trying to to induce um how is that affecting your business is that where a lot of your messaging and pr is right now well like i well maybe i didn't say but the um our uh client base is really before the market so we're actually in a business to business kind of setting where we work with um companies that develop uh, technologies and, and software and services to provide to the hospitals or to the physician practices or to the insurers to help them tackle these challenges to their consumers. We don't really do a lot with the consumers directly. So um, that changes, uh, you know, the, the need for the messaging a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so how is the, the move towards wellness affecting your clients then? Or is it? Oh, it definitely is. I mean, companies have to figure out how to get into this game in order to succeed. So you really see two things. You see new companies that have some kind of idea for a new product or service that will help with some of the challenges that the hospital or the physician practice has, and they will bring those products to market. So those are often our clients, companies that want to bring some kind of a new whiz-bang product to market to help with their problems. But you also have established organizations that maybe have been around a long time, but because of the fundamental change in the business model from fee-for-service to fee-for-value, they have to rethink their their own business model. In other words, they built a business around a fee-for-service mentality or fee-for-service business model. And for them to continue to grow or excel or, or, or achieve greatness, they have to rethink what they're doing and maybe um, acquire companies or add products or you know, sunset products or actually change the way that they're thinking. So nobody is left unscathed here. Everybody has to think, what is this uh, fundamental change in the healthcare industry going to mean to my business going forward? And and that's a lot of what we do. We help them think through that and help them, um, you know, modify their messages or evolve, I guess would be the right word, evolve their messages into a new place and help them maybe um, launch products that they are developing in order to, to reach this new audience, or help them um, you know, uh, modify their messaging, uh, their core messaging and value proposition and thing around existing products in order to fit into the new environment. Companies need a lot of help with this whole messaging challenge. It's not obvious what they're doing, 
or how they're doing it, and they need they need a lot of help, and that's that's really where we spend a lot of time. Right, and so uh, I found you through the Atlanta Business Chronicles fastest 100 growing companies in the in the Atlanta area. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, and so I'm assuming that a lot of this change and the fact that these companies need so much help is the the source of of that rapid growth. But if you want to comment on you know either that you know market dynamics that helped your company grow or what are some of the key um, things that helped your your company achieve that fast growth? I think the growth has been um, steady over the years. You know, we started here in Atlanta 14 years ago and with, um, you know, we just have steadily um, grown. We haven't done anything miraculous to enable that growth, um, but we've just basically uh, set out to help companies, you know, develop these messaging platforms and launch these brands into the marketplace, like I was describing. And there is a big need for what we're doing. There was a big need in healthcare anyway, because it's a very competitive. I mean, if you go back before the Affordable Care Act, back prior to 2010, there was always a big need for companies to figure out how to s- tell their market what they're doing. I mean, that's always been a huge gap. Is the technologists that are building the technology do that gap right there is really our reason for being and always has been so as clients understood that um, our expertise in healthcare can help them with that particular challenge we've been able to grow so um, there's nothing you know I think our um, we just had our seventh year of the Inc 5000 fastest growing company so it's not that there was some big thing uh, thing that happened that meant we grew fast. We just have been growing steadily, and it's it's because there's a need in the marketplace, because we have developed a good um, client base, a, a loyal uh, client base, but really it's because we hire just fantastic people that can get their head around this big challenge. You know, this is not something to take um, lightly. This technology and healthcare together as industries is pretty heady stuff, and so We've had to work really hard to find great employees, and it's the great employees that have that have enabled the growth. Right. Without them, it wouldn't have been able to happen. Yeah, and so um, how many folks do you have working for you? Uh, we have almost 60 full-time employees and another 15 or so uh, contractors that help us out in, uh, in different areas uh, around the country. Mm-hmm. But our core FTEs are in Atlanta. Right. And so um, do you want to share, since you you know you have mentioned that, that, that hiring great people is been what you think is the the secret to your success. What's your philosophy, if you want to share it around, how you have attracted the talent, attracted and retained, I should say, the talent that you have? Uh, I'll hit those separately, attracted and retained. You know, attracting talent um, is, is, is not something that just happens. You have to have a strong brand that is that people are aware of. They can't come to work for us if they've never heard of us before. So, in addition to the work that we're doing with our clients, we have to have an active uh, marketing and PR outreach of our own so that from a recruiting perspective, so that prospective candidates understand that we exist and they can come and, and explore our brand and see if it sounds like something cool that they'd like to be involved in. But we also have um, you know recruiters on, on staff that help us hire at all levels, from interns out of college to um, you know entry-level type employees like coordinators and managers to mid-level uh, employees like senior managers and directors, all the way up to VPs. So that um, the recruiters have to 
work really hard to find the people because there's a lot of um, good people in town, but there's a lot of competition. Um, also, we're involved in, you know, like campus programs. For example, I'm involved in the um, uh, the PR school at um, University of Georgia, the Grady School of Journalism out there. And I'm on an advisory board and I'm, I'm deeply involved with um, participating in that program and trying to help develop the talent out there and then recruiting the talent from the, the great people that are out there. So I think those are all different ways that we attract talent. As far as retaining talent, that's a different story too. You know, we, we have a little uh, disadvantage, I would say, because a lot of our talent is in, are, are in the 20s, in their 20s. And our offices are out in Alpharetta. And, you know, those two words are kind of contradictory to each other. <laughs> But we uh, so we have to uh, encourage people, you know, give them incentives to come outside the perimeter in order to come visit us at least. And we've we've basically had to develop a really strong culture at the office that is exciting for our core uh, demographic, which is twenty somethings. You know, and it might not be exciting for me, a lot older than twenty somethings. But for the twenty somethings, you know, we have to develop a culture that's uh, that's. Uh, interesting and in, enjoyable and uh, creative and dynamic and all of those things that a 20-something would look for. We have a culture committee that that um, puts together programs. We have, uh, you know, um, we have work from home opportunities. We have summer hours. We have a lot of really cool things that we do in order to recognize the fact that these are great people that are working hard and we want them to stay with us for a long time. We want to give them enormous opportunities so that they can stay with us for as long in their career as is possible. Mm, great. And so, um, my understanding as, as we've discussed is that you've recently uh, taken on a private equity partner as well. Um, I guess it's the mark of your success. Um, how? When did that happen? When did when did you do that transaction? Uh, the transaction was last month, June fifteenth. Wow! So it's very very recent. Very new. Yep. So, um, tell me a little bit about that process because uh, you know my understanding is that the capital markets have been very active and are as active as they've ever been. Um, and you know that's something that I know is of great interest to to listeners. So how did that how did that come about? And how did you make that decision that it was time to get a private equity partner? Um. We we looked at a different number of opportunities. We didn't go into it saying it's time. But when we started getting some interest from outside firms, not just private equity but other um, other firms, we started looking at it a little bit more seriously and say, is this the time? And the, um, you know, we had been doing great and we, we have a really, really competent staff of, of people that uh, are have enabled us to grow more over the years. But the... But our ability to go to some kind of next level, which we don't exactly know what a next level is, but it's we needed some uh, some help and some resources and some opportunities that would be able to take us to the next level. The next level is really important because we have a whole lot of people in the office that are going to um, be want to be promoted and they're going to want to earn money and they're going to want um, uh, new opportunities in their career and. As each year, as it went from 10 employees to 20 employees to 30 employees, it became more challenging to make sure that we had enough huge opportunities for the people that were deserving of them in the office. And that was really the fundamental reason why we decided that it was time for a transaction. We wanted to get aligned with an organization that could provide those growth opportunities for our entire staff. 
And so this the um, the our new parent company is called Mylan Communications, and we are now one of five uh, agencies that service the healthcare and financial service markets. So we have not only do we have um, a, a management team in the in the new parent that has just a ridiculous amount of experience helping companies like ours grow to that next level. But we also have peers in all of the different agencies that all have their own experiences and talent and all have their own client bases. And there's just an enormous amount of synergistic opportunity between the agencies. So those two things, the the resources we have in our parent company and the resources we have in our sister agencies are really what's going to provide the impetus that we need in order to uh, grow and develop so that our employees can have those big opportunities in their career. And so what's your vision for, for you know, uh, Dodge Communications, you know, with all these, this now, all this uh, powder in your, in your keg? Uh, I think that maintaining the level of growth that, that we've had uh, uh, in our first 14 years over the next 14 years is really what the vision is. We can't um, maintain this uh this level of expertise in our ranks if we can't provide them these opportunities to grow. So that's really what the key is. Now, where can it go from here? You know, we can be a giant um, uh, agency if we want. Or when when uh, all of the acquisitions uh, happen through Milan, there will be more companies that are coming on next year. And as we start to put those um, agencies together and, you know, in our services lines. So now we can confidently go to a client and say, hey, remember yesterday when we were Little Dodge Communications, we had you know services one, two, and three. Now we're part of Milan Communications. We have sister agencies. And wait till you hear about our client base. Wait till you hear about our service offerings. We are super excited to be able to bring all of this new capability to you, our existing and loyal clients. Right. And so uh, as you were going through that, that transaction, was, was there anything about um, the, the process that you think you would want to share with CEOs that might be considering or thinking about doing the same thing? Maybe things that you learned, um, maybe things that you would do differently? Um, I think we did a pretty good job. You know, one of the most challenging things is I'm, I'm, I'm a very open guy. I believe in transparency and communications. I believe that the um, that the all problems can be solved through proper communications. <laughs> I really do feel that way. And not not only in business, but in personal life as well. Go ahead and write that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, one of the biggest challenges I had is that we couldn't really disclose what we were thinking or talking about or exploring to our staff. And it was, it made it very difficult for me personally to be able to have these, um, you know, secrets that I was, uh, uh, looking at without anybody really being able to know about it. I don't think there's any lesson there for anybody else that's going to consider that. It's just my observation that that was one of the biggest challenges for me personally. Mm-hmm. And did people really not know? Because if you're very, very transparent and then all of a sudden you get tight-lipped, surely after working with you for 14 years, they must have realized something was happening. I would say so. Um, maybe my door was closed more often than not. Um, uh, but I don't know. I mean, nobody has come and so A couple of people have said, aha, I knew that was happening. Uh-huh. But generally speaking, um, I think people just uh, are doing their business and taking care of their clients as they always do. Right. And so you normally, you know, in our second segment, we 
have somebody from our CEO's team come because, you know, and talk about the success because, you know, you, you mentioned that you haven't done all these great things by yourself. But when we were talking about that, you were a little bit reluctant. And I would love to, for you to share, you know, with our listeners, you know, once again, because I think it might be a contribution. You're thinking through, you know, your relationships and the matrix of relationships that you have, you know, the historical relationships that you have, the, the new relationships and, you know, any um, tensions that may be created by by this transaction, because it usually is a very it is a very tumultuous time for a lot of businesses. Yeah, they. um you know, I think that if you think about the fact that now we have, you know, f- four sister agencies and that yesterday they were competitors. Now, maybe they weren't direct competitors because they really weren't that direct competitors, but they were competitors nevertheless. And they were trying to sell to the same clients we were and they were creating products and services um, like we were creating. And it's a competitive environment. And so one of the big big steps is to say, hey, these people now that are your sisters are not competitors. <laughs> you know, they're, they're siblings now. And that whole transition is not just something that can happen. When you have a very competitive group of people, you, you just can't like say, oh, I, I don't need to compete with you anymore. Now you're my friend and we're going to work together going forward. That's, not, that's, a, that's one of the challenges. So that's one of the tensions that could um, be created is the idea that, your new siblings used to be your competitors. That's one of the things. Frenemies. Fre- frenemies. I like that word. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing is that we, you know, we, it, we, in the first month, we had our first meeting about, you know, I mean, first of all, we have a business to run here too, so we don't have an unlimited amount of time to figure out how to transition into this new world. Um, and it wasn't sometime in the first month we really had our first uh, meeting with our parent company that said, okay, so here we are, and here's what we're going to do, and, and um, here's, here's the plan on integrating this thing. And the plan was the first thing is a meeting with you know the four leaders from all of the different agencies all in a room. So we did that meeting a couple of weeks ago. Um, and everybody got to know it was a fantastic meeting. It was um, very much of a bonding meeting as much of a, as a discovery kind of meeting where we had, you know, we um, went to a cooking class, all 20 of us, and, um, you know, drank wine and had a great time. But we also spent long days um, going through each other's um, products and services and uh, clients and strengths and weaknesses and really kind of trying to understand who these other people are as quickly as possible. So um, that takes time is the issue. And we're only six weeks into this thing. So that that kind of that whole process hasn't really evolved yet. We don't really know who, who everybody is yet or know um, what our direction uh, forward is. So I think that our, our agency is still in a, in a state of um, flux. I don't know whether flux is quite the right word, but it's an, it's, a, it's an integration phase that we're in the process of learning about. So I, you know, I probably know the, the most about the parent company of everybody just because I've been dealing with them for a year or so. But um, I still don't even know enough to be able to really comment intelligently about what this is going to look like and how we're going to nav- navigate this over the next years. I mean, I can take could take a stab at it, 
But the, the point is my staff um, are a step down from that. They're just, they're just learning who these people are, and they're just trying to figure out how this business is going to assimilate into their own business and how that's going to translate into growth and success and advancement in their own careers and in their own staff's careers. So you, you see that it's probably too new to be able to be pitching that out right now. Right. Understood. And I guess as a as the leader, um, how, what, how, if you're doing anything, are you reassuring these folks that have followed you for 14 years, you know, that that these changes are going to be to their advantage versus to their disadvantage? Because, you know, transactions can sometimes go not the way people plan. Absolutely. And one thing, you know, I, I've been excited about as I learned about this opportunity over the year, I got more and more excited about it and realized that this is something that, as I mentioned, is going to help us get to this next plateau and to help us grow uh, um, beyond, beyond what we would be able to do without a partner like this. Um, but when you say private equity to uh, employees, they automatically uh, get fearful and they think they're going to, there's going to be downsizing and there's going to be layoffs. They're going to lose their jobs. Everything's going to change. And you know, there are definitely going to be changes, but my job is to is to help explain to people why those changes are going to be good. Recently, I just wrote a uh, an article in our own internal newsletter about um, the the concept of private equity acquisitions and why they're the ones that they fear, like the ones that um, you know made such a name for themselves during Mitt Romney's presidential campaign are not what's going on here. We are not a distressed asset and there's not uh, layoffs that are going to be made. There's no bloat in our company that um, that a private equity firm will be able to eliminate in order to establish growth goals. It's a different kind of acquisition. This is an acquisition where they look at our company and they say, oh, great, this is a company that's focused in healthcare, that has a strong growth record, that has incredible employees. This is a winner. This is a really successful company, and with our input and with our resources, we're going to be able to take that and recognize some of that um, growth, expand and enhance some of that growth in the future. So I think in just explaining that to the employees, the difference between those kinds of acquisitions, it's still under the term private equity, but they're very different kinds of transactions. And ours is a very positive one. All the agencies that um, that are in our portfolio now are very successful agencies in their own right. And um, that that was the private equity firm's strategy is to assimilate a group of very successful agencies make and even make them even more successful. Right. And and so it's interesting, you know, your comment on all problems can be solved through effective communication. Do you have you given any thought to how you're communicating this to all of the different constituencies that um, are stakeholders in in this transaction? So, you know, you have your existing clients, you have your employees, you have the, the private equity firm, and your new um, your new sisters, as you call them. You have you know the market as a whole, your competitors. Do you did you develop or do you have a plan or a thought on how that's going to get communicated? Um, I mean, leading up to the transaction, we had a, a extensive communications plan. That's what we do. Right. And so all of our touch points, who's going to talk to whom and what is their message, that was all really fleshed out in the in the beginning before the transaction happened. Um, subsequently, you know, we tried to anticipate where the um, tension points would be, 
going forward, which clients are going to have issues with it, which employees might have a problem with it, you know, and try to uh, anticipate what those would be. And, and I have a, you know, my senior staff is really, really thoughtful in, in kind of figuring those things out. Um, and I think that we've done a pretty good job at that. And then, and then there's downstream kind of communications, like this article I just explained to you in the newsletter. You know, here it is a month and a half later, and, and it's really the first time I've ever explained that. And I did that because I realized that there was an issue that I hadn't really addressed fully. It's the comparison of one kind of private equity acquisition to another. Um, so that's kind of a downstream thing. So we have, you know, lots of vehicles from newsletters to our social channels to our, um, you know, web properties that we can communicate different messages. Not only that, but also our employees, the account teams that are interacting with the clients all day, how they communicate and what their messages are. And as you mentioned, the prospects that are being hit upon by the competitors saying, you don't want to go with Dodge Communications. They're, they're probably in some state of turmoil right now. So all of those messages are something that we had to have to consider, and we do have a plan ongoing. And our staff is trained and professional at doing exactly that. So that's what's, what's really comforting to be in the kind of company we're in right now because they already know how to do that, and they're doing a great job at it. Great. And so, you know, the, the, I, this is very, very interesting. Um, you know, how long did it take for you to, to or how far ahead of the transaction did you start your communication plan? Um, and you you mentioned the key key tenants of it, um, but in terms of of media, you know, for communicating some of these changes, I mean, I think that would be hugely helpful to listeners to hear a little bit more of the the details. How long did it take? Did you call people? Did you publish? Did you you know how did how did that actually work? I mean, I think if you sit down and and think about this in a room full of smart people, you say, oh, we should probably give this person a heads up a week ahead of time so that they don't hear the news, um, you know, over the web. And those kinds of things, if you write all those on a whiteboard, you come up with some manageable list, 20 or something, (laughs) of things that you need to do ahead of time in order to minimize any risk of fallout from the from the transaction from the lack of um, communication around the transaction so even that kind of example of giving an existing client a heads up just want you to know that this that later on today or later on next week we're going to announce this transaction here's why we did it we wanted to contact you because you've been a, a a client with us for a long time and we value your your business you know we we did go through all of that and um and really made made the appropriate communications necessary in order to make that effective and how far ahead of the transaction would you recommend people start communicating well not very far because no one knows about it until very right. close to the transaction i mean i don't i know that some uh, larger companies, they can announce the fact that they're intending to do something like an Anthem Cigna. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have to wait till the last minute. They said, you know, ahead of time. We didn't really have that luxury of ahead of time. We needed to wait until we got closer. So um, we tried to minimize the amount of uh, turmoil in the in the communications to the clients and to the employees. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like a week. I was going to say, yeah, so was, you told your employees a week before the transaction that it was going to happen? I was, I'm just asking for clarity. Uh, no, it was more like a, a day or two ahead of time. Got it. 
Um, and then afterwards, you know, we're six weeks out. How do you, how do you think about the communications in the, in the hindsight? Do you, do you feel like you said, do you think that everybody has been communicated to and everybody is kind of like, okay, we, we get it. Is, did I hear that correct? Or how, how do you feel a communication plan has gone since the transaction, I guess is really what I'm asking. I think it's gone pretty well. Um, I, I don't, I don't think there were any, um, any issues that we, that really popped up that we weren't able to deal with. I, you know, I wouldn't say that every person, every client and every, is a hundred percent on board and sees the vision and is marching in the right direction, in the, in the same direction. Um, but pretty close as I, I feel good about the, um, the process. I'm still very, very excited about the opportunity. Yeah. So if I can do an effective job getting everybody to be as excited or to see the fruits of that, um, uh, that labor, that excitement about it, then I think that's going to be more positive. Great. And so as you, you know, think about the upcoming year and, you know, what's in, in, in store for you, um, you know, thinking about the growth and, and, and folks, you talked about some, uh, you know, anticipated like big opportunities and, you know, how that might affect your business. So, um, are you looking at maybe growing outside of your core focus and moving into new industries or, um, maybe, you know, starting to look at, uh, you know, different subsegments, you know, where do you think that that growth is going to take you? Well, I think, you know, we've looked at getting into into different segments f- for a long time in our business, but because of the amount of work that there is to do in our cur- core segment, we've never really been able to get outside it too much. Um, I think that with our with our new sister agencies, they are really outside it a little bit. They have um, payers as clients and and health systems as clients, and and hopefully we're going to be able to expand our offerings into those sub segments of healthcare by virtue of the fact that we are related to them now. That's really one of the key synergistic opportunities. It's a it's a reasonable way for us to get into those marketplaces. Um, and we're really excited to be able to bring to our clients new products that we didn't have before. Like, for example, broad, broadcast um, media opportunities to our clients that they might need, but they never considered us for those because they know we didn't have that capability. So we are looking forward to saying, now that we're in this big family, look at all these new capabilities we have, and let's let's bring them to the market. That's that's going to be exciting for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you were going to give you know two or three bits of advice based on your experience um, of going through a transaction to a CEO who you know may be thinking about that now, what what would be your top two or three recommendations? One thing that I didn't do as well as I wished I had, and I'm thankful for my senior staff to help um, help help us get our arms around this, is this, this the sensitivity around other other levels of the staff. The you know what could that person be thinking about this? In other words, I had um, kind of different kinds of views based on what I saw as the future, or based on the conversations I was having, but that didn't necessarily play out to others on the staff. So I think this idea of thinking through the communications plan at all levels early on with smart thinkers in the business is really key. And um, I'm glad that I was able to do that, but I, you know, I think we could have even done it earlier and maybe could have even done it bigger. You know, that's what I, one of the things I would recommend is 
the communications that you think or the, the drivers that you, the CEO, thinks uh, are important aren't necessarily at all what the client thinks or what the employees think or even the managers think are important. You know, that's where you have to really think and say, what are others thinking about this? It's more of an empathy thing. What are others thinking about this and how do I address that? Okay. Any other recommendations? That was one. Anything that was else? one. Um, you know, when we, uh, when we considered the transaction, we looked at a number of different potential suitors and another uh, and and ways to um, divest the company, maybe through uh, employee purchase or the, you know there are three or four different ways we were looking at at doing it. Um, what I wanted to make sure we did is provided the opportunity that would be best for all the employees and their advancement. In other words, when I, you know, retire at some point, I want the company to be in a place where our, all of those 60 or 80 or 100 employees, however many have at that time, are able to um, grasp big uh, growth opportunities for their own personal careers. That's really the, the way I looked at the transaction. So that helped me a lot. It wasn't really about about me. It was more about how can we, how can we set this thing up so that all these great people stay with us. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds to me like your recommendation there is to be really really clear about what you want to accomplish with the transaction. Yes, I, I would say so. Great. And then I guess my um, one of my last questions for you is how are you you adjusting? So you've been captain of the of your own ship for fourteen years now. Um, and now you're a part of this much larger organization. Um, how are you? How are you finding that adjustment? Uh, it's definitely an adjustment. It's really interesting. I am so excited about having um, a team above me in the parent company that can share some of their insights and wisdom to me. The um, last week we were in a meeting, and and one of the um, one of the guys from the parent company said. You know, the reason we're recommending this path is because at the last company, we, tr we tried it the other way, and it failed miserably. So, <laughs> What was the other way? Well, it was, um, no, it wasn't an acquisition thing. It was hmm. like how to manage, um, um, you know, how to manage the PR versus marketing right. in an agency. It was, you know, it was, a, it was a tactical kind of thing. And he said, the reason what we think, why we think it works this way, because we tried it the other way and it didn't work at all. Well, I'm really looking forward to and excited about having a, a, a group of guys and women that can um, advise us on how to go to that next level. That's what um, that's what's inspiring for me about the transaction. So I'm doing good. I mean, I think that there's you know a lot of change that still has to take place, but I'm I'm very hopeful and I'm very excited about it. I think it's a I think it was a great choice for the agency, and it's going to continue to allow us to grow at the same kind of pace we've been growing for, for many, many years into the future. Wonderful. So in terms of new services and anything else new, new opportunities that you want to share with our listeners that, you know, might be interested in, in how this is going to play out for you, is there any, any other new services or um, anything else you want to let folks know about before we... I mean, we, we've been an integrated shop since the, since the very beginning where we you know, maybe people come in to, through the PR door and then they realize that we do, oh my gosh, they have a, a full graphics department and a digital department and they have a content development group and they do social media and they do research. They, we just do all that stuff. But there are some areas that we're going to be able to do it a lot better now and a lot more uh, robustly 
than we've ever been able to do before. So I don't think we've gotten our arms around how to exactly describe that yet, but it's um, more better, I guess, would be the answer. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much for a a great show today. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Or it's bdodge at dodgecommunications.com. Our website's dodgecommunications.com. And um, we'd we'd look forward to to, uh, anybody that's listening to the show to reach out to us and have a chat. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.